welcome back to sci-fi and fantasy read along we are back for the second episode chapter of three stigmata of palmer eldritch i've been editing the first episode well already um, yeah i gotta get ahead because of the holidays uh-huh. which reminds me in the future uh-huh. we are done by mid-november okay like we're not starting a book in mid-november ever again Okay. It was a bad idea. It was a bad plan on my part, and we shouldn't have done it. And now I'm regretting it. Well, but it's t- too late for that. But that's why we were going to do short stories. Yep. That's why. Well, you know what? I changed the phone number to my store stupidly, and I know there was exactly a reason why I didn't want to do it. And then the minute I did it, it was like, oh, I remember why now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, what are you going to do? Yeah, so next time. Hopefully my memory is long enough that next year in November, I'm not like, hey guys, let's start a book. Well, we could be ending a book is, during this time is what you're saying. Like if we as went so long as it's actually ending or something, you know. Yeah, I just got to plan a little bit better. I didn't think about it. I, You know, we have done this for enough years now that uh, I should have known better, but I forgot. You say so. years, and it has been, and it's episodes, yeah. and it has been. But it's only been four books. <laughs> for you. Okay, that's true. That is true. Well, the thing about the last three books is they've all been different and, you know, in some ways, you know, mind expanding. Talking about mind expanding. Yeah, there's a, well, I mean, it wasn't like I was eating candy or anything like that. (laughs) Okay, so we're here to talk about chapter two. We've already mentioned that. All right, we begin in Leo Bolero's office. He's on the phone. What's his name, Philip? Leo Bolero was on a vid call with the Triplanetary Law Enforcement. His contact was Felix Blau, who is part of this private police force. And I had the impression this private police force was like the Pinkertons. Do you guys remember those guys back in the day? Yeah. <laughs> I know of yeah. them, yes. Pretty serious stuff. Do you know they were? You know why they were disbanded? Huh. Uh, they were more effective than law enforcement? Why? Yeah, sorry. Uh, the Pinkertons outnumber the United States Army, and they consider them a threat. Mm. Dashiell Hammett was a Pinkerton. Oh, really? Mm. Okay. Uh, by understanding, they were better at their job than <laughs> the United States uh, military was anyway. So they couldn't handle that rivalry, so they pretty much undermined them and got rid of them. That's that's what somebody would do if they had a monopoly, right? Well, yeah, exactly. Well, point is, it's it was a private army for hire, and I get the impression this triplanetary law enforcement is of a similar sort. Leo has hired them to find out about the wreckage of Eldritch Palmer. On Pluto. Palmer Eldritch. <laughs> That's still speculative until this moment. Right. We knew it in the previous chapter something had wrecked, and now we're finding out. Well, well he finds out about the, the life form that was brought on the ship with Palmer. He's questioning Blouse all about it and whether or not, you know... Isn't there a law about bringing foreign species back to Earth? Yeah, there is. There absolutely is. Not supposed to do it. (laughs) Blau tells him that the life form on the plane, the ship, is very similar to the one that somebody that we know uses to create this illicit drug called Candy. Right. It's titanium lichen, as Uh in from from the planet, or sorry, from the moon Titan around Saturn. Right. Right. Uh, It said it resembles it. Same thing. Subspecies actually extraterrestrial i have no idea we don't have any idea the guy in the first chapter who makes uh the the ties he used a lichen or something that married with silk or something created the ties or the color or something like that anyway this is something that happens using other life forms to 
<laughs> to mix with stuff to make it. We actually do this all the time. Right. Like this is not not surprising. We get we get our vitamin C from bacteria. And huh. so. What did you think the lichen meant, Philip? Because we're disagreeing about this. And what did what did you think it meant? I didn't know. I was speculating. It's really interesting that we had two different ideas, and that's fine because I still don't think we have the answer. But I was like, oh, it's some dangerous organism. Keep it away. So I, I have xenophobic tendencies. Mm-hmm. So and then they literally said there's an ordinance against it. I'm like, well, why is he bringing it here? It's either revolutionary or it's dangerous. And I don't know who this guy is. Maybe it's both. Well, and and Leo, he, he's going through all the stages of things that we can do to this ship because for some reason it pertains to him. But let's right? think about how he wants to do that. He, well, maybe, I see, I don't, I didn't never comprehended why. Maybe he's just this altruistic uh, white knight of the solar system who Leo? wants... Up until we find out he isn't. <laughs> I know that's not true, but maybe he's ultra xenophobe too, and he's just trying to protect humanity. But he was saying he'll get the UN, see if he can get the UN to blow it up. And he had already implied that he pays money, protection money, to the UN to keep them off his back about something. And so the UN is corrupt. Or What's at that least, something? Um, I it's I don't he doesn't say it, but it's implied. It's this narcotic called candy. Yeah, he's the sole manufacturer of candy. Yeah, he's a drug dealer. This he's guy a, he's who's a drug manufacturer. This but you, you can say it like that. But he sounds kind of humanitarian, you know. I never I never took him to sound humanitarian at all. It always sounded like he was just trying to bend other people to his will to get stuff accomplished that he wanted to get accomplished. He wants to get rid of that other lichen because person. I think he thinks it's a threat to his stranglehold on candy, which right now is a monopoly. He's the only person that makes it. He's the only person that distributes it. And he just had a ship get hijacked, essentially, and stolen by the UN full of candy. Okay, so Blau is told to try everything he can to get a hold of everything he can and even to find Eldritch. And then he gets off of the phone with Leo Bolero. And Leo is like, I'm going to turn my attention to the UN now and see if I can get them to do what I want them to do, even though they are suspicious of him as a manufacturer of the solicit drug candy. So he does. He, he asks for the Secretary of the United Nations, somebody by the name of Hepburn Gilbert who happens to be Indian. <laughs> I think that's largely irrelevant. I bring it up now because that name doesn't sound even remotely Indian. <laughs> I thought the same know. thing. I'm like, okay. Yeah, he's obviously uh, from India. Hepburn Gilbert. I wasn't sure if he meant Native American Indian or India Indian. I mean, either way, it wouldn't have mattered, but... but well, he later says, oh, the UN's being controlled by Afro-Asian politicians now. Yes, okay, fair enough. All right, so Bolero gets on the phone with Secretary of the UN. Yeah, he wants to get even more information. Oh, no, he... Oh, it, uh, it starts off with this uh, Hepburn Gilbert calling him out immediately... When he said, ah, you wish to complain as to the seizure of that shipment of candy, which he's like, oh, no, 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 this has nothing about that. He didn't deny it, though. He didn't deny <laughs> that there was candy on that ship and that it was his. He was just like, no, 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 I want to talk about something else entirely. That's right. So this guy is already hectoring him. Like, you're going to call me for information? Well, let me tell you something, buddy. Well, it's right. Well, it's already clear from the beginning that it's a slimy politician and he's already trying to maneuver Leo Bolero into 
some game or some position. I mean, it's reasonable to assume that he would be calling up and saying, why did you take my ship or something to that effect? But he's a smart man. He didn't get to where he is by being a dummy. He's also extremely powerful. I mean, if you think about it, he's he's as wealthy as he is. These people are not like a cakewalk. You can't just steamroll them, even if you're a government agency. And that's made clear by the end of the book or by the end True. of the chapter. You've got the secretary of the UN on speed dial. That's that's You got something. him on the phone. I mean, that says something about how powerful this guy is. But he starts going through all of the list of the reasons why they should blow up that ship. He's like, we don't want another plague like we had in 98. You know, it's like. So obviously they had a plague that was caused by mm, something that came from out of system. Plagues. <laughs> you don't want to screw with them, do you, Phil? Hey, I'm fine. Hey, I'm fine. There's another thing I noticed was that um, the guy actually answers his questions. Like, have you ever asked a cop a question? Yeah. I can't recall, but I'd say generally they're evasive or... Super evasive. Unless it's, it's a meaningless answer, you know? Like, what kind of tires you got? Good year. Right. But if you ask them any kind of question, if you try to get any information out of a cop, it's usually kind of difficult. And I would expect a politician would be the same way. Yeah. Hard to pin down. And, and with years worth of practice on how not to answer questions. And this guy answers his questions. When Bolero is making demands of this guy, he's like, we are acting. We're doing this and that and the other. And in fact, we're putting this guy on. You might know him. His name is Ned Lark. He's the chief of the narcotics division. He's responsible for the ship full of candy being taken. So what did you guys get out of this? I feel like Secretary Hepburn Gilbert has an agenda, but it really seems like he's toying and he's like kind of being patronizing and and he's giving information freely. There's something going on here and I don't know what it is. Any thoughts? Okay, there's the part towards the end of the phone conversation when Bolero refers to the quid pro quo, I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back thing. And, I mean, I think he summarizes it himself. The U.N. secretary didn't come out and say it, probably because he cannot. He doesn't want to get recorded on the phone or anything like that and have it used against him. So he's being real cagey about his information. But the implication, I think, was that the U.N. wants him to curb his manufacturing and distribution of candy in exchange. They will help him maintain his monopoly by destroying this lichen. Oh, that makes so much sense, man. That makes so much sense. But he didn't come out and say it, so Bolero is actually just kind of guessing. But I, I also think it makes a lot of sense. And then that's where he calls him a, a sneaky politician. Mike, read the whole thing, man, because it is nasty. This is the reason why it's important that you let the reader know that he's Indian, I guess, is because, after all, Hepburn Gilbert, that dark-skinned, sneaky, little, unevolved politician... Hadn't exactly said that. Oh, you're right. right. Hey, I found it. Unevolved you... might be really more pertaining to the politician yes. aspect no. of the person. The dark skin is definitely the racial aspect. Though. I don't think so, Yule. And the reason why is because he is referred to as evolved later in the chapter. Bolero. Remember the E-therapy? Then that could mean evolved oh. and unevolved would be more of a precog kind of situation then. Yeah, absolutely. Superman. I think AT nailed it. You've got Homo sapiens and Homo superior. And like I said, later on, he did. He said he had these E treatments to give, I don't know, extra sensory perception. We don't know exactly what that is, but increases the size of his frontal lobe. So he may look like a Neanderthal, but his brain is apparently bigger. I don't think it changes the way he looks. I think it's modifying his brain. 
All right, so Leo is informed by his secretary, Mrs. Gleason, that um, who wore that awesome open-fronted dress in the last episode, last chapter or whatever. She lets him know that Barney Mayerson is there to see him, and she shows him in. Nothing good could come of this. What's eating you, Mayerson? <laughs> yeah, man, he's yeah. pissed off about Ronnie's uh, behavior, right? Uh, yes, he is. He's not happy that she questioned him. Ronnie is willful and disobedient, and you can't have that in an assistant. I got to ask you, though, we were told in the last chapter that Mayerson is this guy who's like impulsive. And once he's made his decision, it's done. So when would have been a better time for her to bring up her disagreement? Me, DM Phil, I don't have a single problem with what she did. I think that's the duty of essentially your assistant to second guess you. But in front of other people? It's like parents. That decision is done. Once he says no, it's done. Right. right? We were told that in the last chapter. So there is no better time. She had to bring it up then or it was, you know, forever hold your peace. Well, he's under a lot of stress right now. He's being uh, drafted to go to another yeah, He's being drafted. You're right. <laughs> well, it's, it's very true that under the circumstances that Mayerson has probably lost focus or potentially lost focus. And she is eager for his chair. And she really hasn't made many bones about it. We found that out in last chapter. She came out and said it literally. Maybe I could have your job when you leave. Well, I mean, she was at <laughs> yeah. least not edging for his job to kick him out. It's like, should he leave for Mars? She was ready she to was take in, his place. Yeah, exactly. But he's on edge. She's ambitious. She's cocky. She's pretentious, and she thinks no, she's better than him. No, no, she's not. She's not pretentious. She's not cocky. She's athletically fit. She thinks she's always right. So do you. So do you. So do I. So does everybody. <laughs> doesn't make you cocky. Uh, that's true. Doesn't. I appreciate it when people challenge me and I'm wrong, and I feel a duty to challenge other people and let them know when they're wrong. And I, sometimes I'm wrong when I'm wrong. That's got to be embarrassing. Well, all I know is I would have trusted her if she said not to go to that party, Phil. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I was right about that, but I did it anyway. <laughs> Leo Bolero is talking to Mayerson like Mayerson is a child. He made his tone withering. Later on, there's like a, a genuine dig about the guy's age and how we can't have anybody contradicting you. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Well, I, I, it started off that way. Speak up. That's what I'm here for. So you can have a shoulder to cry on. Yes. Yes. And there was a disagreement, and this is the source of contention. And I think you're right, Philip, that he's under a lot of stress right now. He's been carrying that briefcase around, the psychiatric briefcase that's associated with the AI at his apartment. But Bolero is wondering, like, about this disagreement that they had. It's like, could two precogs disagree and they both be right? And he's wondering, therefore, if there are many worlds. And I'm, I'm going to say that's the many worlds interpretation and just leave it at that. Alternate futures and the like. Well, it, it also really comes out at this point in time that Leo Bolero is quite a skirt chaser. And oh, yeah. women are playthings. One at a time. One woman at a time? Unless it's a party. Because, you know, it's a party. That's right. right. He's like, don't judge me for that party in January because it was a party well, after that's all. Well, that's when uh, Barney like questions his, like... Dude's like, you know, you should have a you should have a piece on the side all the time, you know? Get ready for the next one, that type of thing. And never have them meet. <laughs> Maybe you can have one of these girls I'm done with. Right. He's trying to get rid of that one girl, Scotty. Yeah. Because he wants to move another one in. 
yeah, several other ones. So actually, I'm sure as, there's as, plenty on the. It's there's, hilarious, and he describes her. He says Scotty had a will of her own, which was always dangerous in a woman. <laughs> he also described her as being blonde and frail and huge in the balcony. Well, what do you think that meant? The dude has a type. He definitely has a type. Yes. Yeah. And he's probably in charge of who hires who. He's the head of the company. I mean, okay, so this to me was Weinstein or Epstein. Yeah, it's a typical type of boss yeah. that's skirt chasing yeah. his secretary yeah. and all the people below to become the next secretary. No, the next Mrs. Bolero. The next Mrs. Bolero, whatever it may be. You know, he's setting up and he's knocking him down. <laughs> Meyerson's complaint is just that she contradicted him and front of a salesman right this is when we find out that bolero has been going to e-therapy and his frontal lobe is huge he says he's practically a precog himself he's so advanced and he says was it your wife's ceramics that came in for minning that you turned down and Myerson's like yeah reluctantly at first he kind of says that it had nothing to do with it and then when he's trying to explain to leo about how he is going to beat the system. He was then accepting the fact that he had a problem with this. Look how I treated that whole situation with my wife, my ex-wife's husband. You know, mm -hmm. he's all, take a look, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out with Ronnie immediately and all this other stuff, you know. He's and, messing up with Ronnie. Right. You know, this should show you enough that I'm going to beat this thing and not show that I have, I'm qualified to go to Mars, you know, that type of stuff. This is a slight aside, but it, there's no good time to ask it. What type of people are they taking off planet? Are, are they shooting for the best of the best? They're taking unwilling people off the planet. Fair enough. They're, but they're sending them to these horrible places. And we don't. Have, I don't have any idea why. But, you know, it's like Australia, uh, you, they sent the prisoners there to start colonies. Why are we taking the best and brightest and sending them to these frozen hell holes? Maybe because the Earth is getting ravaged they're thinking all of our eggs are in one basket. Well, but there's been no indication that there's anything wrong with the earth. Oh, I'm, it's so, hot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I completely blew that. Yeah, it literally started with, yeah. it's going to be a scorcher today, like 180 degrees right. or something. Uh, yeah, global warming um, uh, in overdrive. Okay, so f forget it. Never mind. I blew that one. No, it's all right. You know, you're in this chapter. They're not expressing it at all. But, you know, these people are indoors all the time, right? They're also indoors on the colonies right. all the time oh, well, because it it's horrible be. there as well. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like you're trading one hell for another. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to the idea of hell when we're talking about what candy is f used for. Yeah, exactly. I think that's yeah, cool. that'd be a good transition if we were going there right now. Yeah, whatever. Unfortunately. It happens. Yeah, we'll way. use it later. It's, we'll find it's it. It's his fault for not putting it in a safe spot. <laughs> there is a sentence in here where it says Leo Bolero studied his precog. His precog. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> it's just one piece of evidence among many about how much of a POS this guy is. Everything is uh, little things for him to manipulate, obviously. I'm going to yeah, call yeah. the guy he's, from the he's, UN. He's special. Get he's me this special. person on the phone, yeah. my secretary, my mistress, my mistress secretary-to-be, all that stuff. And yeah, yeah, his precog. Mm -hmm. So uh, he has a bevy of them, apparently. But Meyerson is the best. The best that took a long time getting to where he was. Yes, but he had God-given talent, mm -hmm. 
and he has 13 years of experience, and he is the best. He cannot be replaced. Yeah, he said he talked about pulling in this guy. What from is it? France. Mac yes. Ronston from Paris, but he's like, can't hold the stick to uh, Barney. Well, he's, yeah, he's thinking about replacements already. But, okay, so he has to because this guy is going to get drafted. Nobody beats it. Everybody gets going, right? Everybody gets sent. So let's just, for a second, so I there's a paradox here that I'm not comprehending because he said you're born with this God-given talent and maybe you can improve it and stuff. But Leo says he's taking this e-therapy to give him precog abilities or increase the size of his frontal load almost it makes him very intuitive right he was able to intuit that the cause of the problem was actually barney's ex-wife and not you know fash as it were but it, it makes him what as good as a homo sapien can get but Probably. nowhere nowhere near on the level of a, of, of a homo superior as good case. as money can buy Right. Ah, there we go. Good as money well, can buy. So okay. Think about uh, coaches don't always have you know, aren't always super players. Editors or maybe also even you know editor yeah. editors in the literary world are frequently able to identify an amazing amount of talent, but not necessarily able to produce anything of worth. Right. Right. Other than editing, right, and identification of talent. Well, like this so, is the thing. So if Leo is essentially a normal homo sapien, why is he talking down to and looking down on this politician as uh, unevolved? Is that because he's a politician? And Maybe he hasn't taken the e-therapy. Maybe he doesn't have the same amount of money. He Okay, so Leo Bolero described the life that he has at some point in time in this chapter. And he said everybody in the world was essentially chasing his life. Like he has it as good as you can get it on earth. And everybody else was chasing after his life, except for Palmer Eldritch. Yeah, except for him. Palmer Eldritch was different. He was one of a billion. He was special. He had found something out in Prox, right? But everybody's doing the exact same thing this guy's doing, but just at a lesser level. And a politician doesn't have the same kind of money that he has. It's a rat race and he's King Rat. Yes, yes. Even compared to the secretary of the UN, he is, he is well above. Right. Do you think this is like uh, like uh, two businessmen, uh, Leo and Eldritch? And yes, they're rivals. They're rivals, and they've seen each other go up all their time, probably. Or, you know, they exist. He doesn't know him personally. No, that's true. Well, the guy left Planet also. And nobody Ten really years knows. Ago. Yeah. yeah. Ten years ago. I don't see Eldritch as a rival at all. There's no indication. Maybe of that. to Leo he is. Yes, there is. <laughs> well, there, there is a lot the of liking. indications. Yeah. I think there I think Eldritch has something that Leo is afraid of, but I it's not clear to me what that is. He's okay, just we'll afraid get there. of something. Yeah. Okay. That, that that's 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 fair enough. There's definitely more I read most of the next chapter as well, and there's more in there, but oh. I'm not gonna talk about that. Shame, shame, shame. Nah, I don't think so. It's a pretty exciting book. I really I hold back reading the next chapter as as hard as I can. <laughs> it's yeah, easy because of work, you. but you know, other than that, I would really like to keep reading. I yeah. just accidentally kept going when I was like when I was reading chapter two last night. I just turned a page and kept going. Chapter, you know, read through chapter. You know, three and mostly. aside is um, I really enjoy reading these characters. Also, but they're pretty good. Like Leo gets honestly. all the treatment. And we get all of that, you know. We get a Leo different side of Mayerson. Leo is. It's not a guy. good guy, you know. No, he's not a good guy. He's a villain. He's a villain. He he seems like he's going to be a he's villain. A villain. <laughs> the dude's a villain. He has intelligent sociopathic tendencies. Oh, you mean a businessman? 
Yeah, kind of. That has no problem yeah, exactly. shilling his, uh, his candy on people. Last part of this section. We're talking about Leo Bolero being a villain right now. He says that the UN is really getting to him and that he wonders if they're going to draft Barney to get to him. And this is when it's revealed that this is a weak point of his because he relies heavily on Barney. <laughs> yeah, Barney. Barney's special to him. He's one of his main toys to play with, I guess. Probably a tool. Uh, or a tool. You know, it's probably one of his most potent tools. Sure thing. Like if if candy is so important to to PP layouts, and this guy has nothing to do with that except for all the other you know the men's that the fash. Uh, it, it has to be a relationship. very strange. <laughs> it has to be a relationship. It's stated at the end of this little section on the bottom of page twenty one that people need the candy. It has something they have to have it, and the perky pat layouts are no good without them. Well, PP Layouts is not just, you know, a cover business or a facade. It is a legitimate business of interplanetary commerce that is the hottest thing that there is. So in its own right, it is enormously profitable. I bet you it doesn't make him nearly as many truffle skins as his uh, oh, yeah, truffle his skins. candy business. That's right. Selling candy. We find out that truffles are the skins that are the money. Yeah. I love it because Skins. truffles are so expensive now. I mean, it, it's Always funny. Like been. of all, you know, uh, Philip K. Dick is you know taking us far into the future and all this stuff. You know, we're colonizing planets and all this other stuff. But there has to be some sort of currency that isn't gold. It's got to be something. You know, for him, it's still something physical, but very expensive. And uh, I think he was wise because. Now we're playing with ether coins and all this Ethereum. other stuff that doesn't mean anything for real. Truffles. Now that's real. That's something I can sink my teeth in for real. You know, futures. I got some olive oil futures. Exactly. Too. Yeah. When it's these science fiction novels and they're trying to just like you know imagine the future and all this stuff that that's going to be happening, and then you know it brings us back to today, and this was. You know, 70 years ago or whenever he wrote this. You know. 1964. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's truffles. It's just truffles. Dude, I, I, I seriously get tickled how how sci-fi writers in the past have been so right or so wrong about the future. And I don't expect, of course, nobody expects them to be right all the time. It's and not amazing the when they are. ones. That doesn't count. Yeah, yeah, right. But, you know, it is it is fascinating when, like, literally the best thing they can come up with is so far off the mark, like truffle skins, as an example. It's not over yet, buddy. That's true. It's not over. And literally in the future, it may be the only thing they can grow legitimately in special warehouses or something because nothing else is alive on the surface. Nothing else can be alive on the surface. Have you ever heard the term, even a broken clock is right twice a day? Sure. Uh, yeah, you told me that. Okay, so now imagine that you are speculating on what the future is going to be like as a pulp science fiction writer, and you write, I don't know, 500 stories in your lifetime. You're going to get a couple of them right. Oh, for sure. And that's what I say. To me, it, it tickles me. Either how amazingly correct you know they are or how horribly off they were. I get fascinated by it. It's. I'm fascinated by the fact that this book is only 20-some-odd years after Isaac Asimov's foundation. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know how the ages would work, but he was younger, 22, 23 years probably old. having read Asimov. 
Uh, he was born in 28. Yeah. Philip K. Dick was born in 1928. So he was in his 30s, mid-30s when this book was written. Right. But he probably read and the other one. I'm sure I'm sure younger. he did. Yeah. I'm sure that there, you know, it's like um, Stephen Erickson said that, he, I'm paraphrasing if you're listening, Stephen. <laughs> he said that he was writing against Tolkien and that kind of stuff. Yeah, you, know, you like always the, the stereotypes. Ursula Le Guin said the same thing. She didn't want to write stories where the good guys were the same as the bad guys. They were just on the right side. And, you know, Philip K. Dick's probably doing exactly the same thing. You know, you're influenced by the people in the past and you write differently than them to differentiate themselves or because they don't like the, you know, the way that it was written then. Like, I don't like science fiction from that era, the 40s and the 50s. I'm not a fan. But this guy, just a couple of years later, obviously wasn't a fan either because he's just blowing the doors off science fiction at this point. That is a good point. His characters are developed. They are complex they are human. They've got the same human problems we have. Dude, we and spent this entire chapter following a villain. I know, but I can still identify with that villain. Because yes. I know people today in our society that are like spitting image of this guy. Leo Bolero is having lunch with Pia Jurgens, somebody who was recently hired in the secretary pool. The CEO has taken her out. In a secluded chamber of the Purple Fox. This is the redhead, right? Yes. And and the redhead uh, Leo describes as you can be one of two. They come in two varieties. There's two varieties of redhead. Horribly ugly or supernaturally beautiful. And, and she is of the latter. Is there a breast comment on the Oh, there is later. Uh, on. Yes, there is. It's a little bit later when she's upset. She has an oh, she already had an overexpanded breast thing going on and then she breathes in and it must have been like spectacular as far as Leo's it was like concerned. she got indignant or something and it that her, her it grew with her indignity right or something like that. yeah i don't, I don't but, remember how you know i i just want to say you're, we're starting to do a character profile of leo bolero where he <laughs> not ourselves the, <laughs> yes nor are we condemning the author and how, how no. he sets up this 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 relationship because all of this is on leo bolero and yeah. how he views... Anybody that cannot separate a character in a book from the author that wrote the character is a crackpot. Well, and I mean, we got into it just a little bit ago with the Indian character. We're not supposed to like Leo. Right. We're not supposed to. The, the author has given us lots of reasons to not like this guy. Let's talk about him at the end, though, okay? Okay, let's, yeah. okay we're, but we're, let's, still, we're, we're, we're still talking right about now. the redhead. We're still talking about the redhead. And so Leo Belair was thinking to himself, if there's only some way I can get him up to my satellite via or in the planet. Her. her. Yes. Her. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Pia. Um, and the name of his estate is? Winnie the Pooh Acres. What is this place? This is his apartment. It's a satellite. A satellite where he has a private satellite where he has a woman named Scotty ensconced at the moment, but he's getting tired of her and looking for a way to foist her off on Meyerson so he can replace her with somebody fresher. Somebody named Pia. The problem with Scotty, according to according to Leo, is that she's becoming willful and disobedient and intelligent or something like that. And mm -hmm. he can't have that sort of woman in his company. Well, it just makes things complicated for him. Yeah. They're arm candy for him and that's it. Well, he said that he wanted to foist off Scotty onto Mayerson because Mayerson is obviously obsessed with his ex-wife or some such nonsense. He wants to help the guy out. However, at this moment, he realizes he doesn't want to help him out. He wants him to kind of crack so that he can beat the UN 
at their own game. That's the thing. Leo wants to get Scotty out of his life, dump him onto Mayerson, which will help him out, but which would hurt Leo also because Mayerson would be gone because he's healthy. Right. He wants him to be unhealthy. Yeah, he said psychiatrists used to help people, but now they actively try to undermine them. Right. Because nobody wants to get sent off to one of the colonies. Right. So people that can afford it are hiring these psychiatric assistants to break them so they'll fail the test. Isn't that what psychiatry is anyway? <laughs> Convince you you have a problem so you keep coming back for 15 years? Well, I mean, many people are very, very distraught when their psychiatrist quits. <laughs> Retires, Retires, dies, dies. Yeah, but people feel the same way about a good mechanic or a good dentist. A good sure. mechanic does something for you for sure. <laughs> Sure. So, hey, you know, I thought this was an interesting tactic by Leo because he could probably grease the skids, grease somebody's palm, bribe his way into getting this guy disqualified. But he also, I know, he also knows that the UN may be having it out for him and trying to steal uh, Mayerson away from him. So he's like, I got to do this on the legit level. And so now he's like, I bet I can just keep pressing on Mayerson until he starts cracking little by little by little until he fails. It's a gambit that he's making. And the way that he puts it is he says, you can't make healthy people sick just by giving an order or can you? So he's looking to psychologically make this man more unsound so that he'll fail his test. I know. I think it's brilliant. It's intelligent. It's a great way to beat the game. And Assuming it's a game. Meyerson may have gotten a draft notice randomly. I mean, but well, I doubt it. Well, whether or not the UN is trying to undermine him or whether or not the draft notice was legitimate, he would lose if Meyerson left. Except for this whole remote work thing. All right, so... Um, they're, they're, remember, we're having lunch with Pia Jurgens, and she's gorgeous, and she probably knows it. And she's like, do you ever talk? And he's like, no. Hey, I need a phone. Waiter, bring me a phone. Yeah. And so he gets on the phone with Gleason again, his, his assistant, his secretary. And he's like, make sure Ronnie's in my office when I get back. We need to have a meeting, and don't let Mayerson know. Pia works in the pool. Wherever she works, she sees Mayerson every day. And she's like, you know, I overheard your conversation because you didn't leave the table when you had that phone call. And I see him every day, so I could just tell him. He thinks that she's trying to, like, leverage him, and she's not. She's just saying, you should be more careful who you have conversations in front of. I could tell this guy. Right. And because he doesn't understand her, she gets upset. And this is when he notices that her breasts are expanding. And then he right? paid she's attention like, to her. <laughs> he's not listening to her at all. He's watching her body. And, and she leaves an open question to him at that moment where she's like saying, you know, I'm listening in and I could tell anybody anything. And his answer to her is like, well, I'm trying to get to know you. Have you ever chewed candy? Yeah. We should chew candy together. I really want to get to know you, darling. So he, he's not treating her like a person at all. He doesn't want to have a conversation. Doesn't really want to get to know her. Well, he does tell her that using candy entwined with another person does uh, connect them. It really does make a unity. Yeah. Yeah, it does. He also says it's habit forming. He does, but that's not Don't worry really the that. bad thing. <laughs> and she's like, isn't that illegal? She's like, oh, well, I can do what I want on my own private via in space. What was that place again? Winnie the Pooh Acres. 
And it's supposed to be like well, you guys kind of suggested it was like it's a like Neverland. Epstein's private island or ne- yes, right? What's it? What's it called? This guy Michael feels Jackson's. very in today's Michael, terms like a Magic Mountain, Neverland Ranch. D- don't interrupt him if you're gonna get it wrong. <laughs> this place I'm is sorry. like like a, a little island, Epstein's Island. It's like this guy feels very much like Weinstein inviting an actress up to his apartment. However it works, you know, um, he's there and you're there, there, and you got to make a decision (laughs) and you know what? It'll make it all the easier if you have some, um, uh, candy or a Bill Cosby would have. Let's talk about candy. Let's talk about candy. What does it do? Do you have a grasp of what it actually does? It sounds like ecstasy. The way he's describing it. Creates a unity. Yeah. I mean, I've never done X, so I don't really know, but I would say like something like psilocybin or something. In light of our other conversations, I think that it would affect Homo sapiens and Homo superiors differently. Hmm. Because if it makes a connection, you'd have to have some sort of extra psychic ability. The effect of the drug is affected by your imagination ability. So if you're an imaginative person, you end up with a different experience than if you're a dull-minded person. Right. And if you're with other people, it merges your minds together. And if you really want to get to know this girl, he says just chewing this substance with this girl, Pia, a few times, he would know everything there was to know about her. And then he'll probably get bored of her. Tired of her and throw her away. Right. The tissue paper kind of aspect of his relationship with these women is obvious. But also, when you get to know somebody all the way and there's nothing else to grow with a person... You're done. You're done. Uh, So, yeah, I'm not trying to say he's, you know... Or you're bored. Or you're bored. I mean, yeah, for sure. And if you're an evolved human being... Or just rich. Or... (laughs) Yeah, And powerful. This dude is rich and powerful. Why should he waste his time being bored with people? Right. He wouldn't. I mean, it makes perfect sense from a character level. It wouldn't. Okay, but candy. Yeah. Do we know anything else about it? Well, is this when we're talking about the miniatures and yes. Perky Pat? Yes. He doesn't want to use a layout. Right. He says that it's ironic that the creator and inventor of the layout system and the miniaturization stuff wouldn't want to use one. But he says it's like chasing nostalgia or something to that effect. Right. The, it's popular with the colonists because... It's reminiscent of something that they don't have. Right. But everybody on Earth has it, so it's not popular on Earth. Right. Well, I I have this this impression, and it's very tenuous. My imagination going wild is that this miniaturization of everything Earth-like creates these uh, maybe effectively elaborate dollhouses or even communities that you set up in your house. And then you take this drug and you, like, focus on this dollhouse and imagine yourself being there with this uh you know um a better life something you can actually afford it's an escapism and i think i think you are i think you're correct i I think you were correct i think you interpreted it perfectly that's it that's exactly what i got from it i mean you don't have all right so it's best used if you're imaginative but if you're not and you have your imagination set up right in front of you boom you know this thing works wonders well, yeah, like th- that. That's why people make model train sets and create these elaborate. You can't afford a real one. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Hey, I know a guy in these mountains. 
Um, he literally has a train track through his entire property. I don't know what it's narrow gauge. It's only like two feet wide, but the point is, it's everything. It's the railroad ties and like the little, the the, the little water tower thing, and it's amazing that somebody loved trains that is it much. A scale model? Yes, and it, so it's he, he's it's got like a, a two to one scale or something like that. Four well, to one scale. Something like that. He's literally got a train that he rides around his property on, and he's well, small, like Neverland Ranch. That was Michael Jackson's big deal too. <laughs> Welcome, bring him back. Good job, man. Good job. <laughs> You've got a winner, the Winnie the Pooh uh, uh, court or whatever. I want to read something to you. Yeah. He. This is Leo Bolero speaking to Mrs. Jurgens. He says that candy is great stuff, and no wonder it's banned. It's like religion. Candy is the religion of the colonist. It provides a reason for living. Isn't that worth the risk and expense? Well, let's get back to my accusation that Leo Bolero is actually a humanitarian. Meeting the most basic needs of the Over cost. one million expatriates from Terra, it said. If there are only one million people that have been stuck off planet or whatever, that's not very many. That's true. That's not many at all. But how, how, we don't know how long it's been going and how long they've been re, like reproducing. Well, he wants more from life than this as well. It's arguable that it's humanitarian. I would say it's not humanitarian at all. He's looking for an answer. He's looking for something more than what he has found in this life. And he's selling this drug to other people and providing them these miniature environments to provide them some sanity. But he's doing this for himself. Well, I said he's a humanitarian tongue-in-cheek. It's little lies you tell yourself that make you... that. That, that you deny how vile you really are. And this is one of those examples for Leo Bolero, is that, yes, he is providing a service to all these colonists to help them keep their sanity, and he's he feels reinforced by that. But the reality is, it's... He just wants to get into Pia's pants and go meet Palmer Eldritch. And get rich. Gan he's rich, already rich. And maintain his power. He wants to get richer, maintain his monopoly, etc. Yes, exactly. Well, he doesn't want to get in trouble either, I'm sure. So at the very end of this section, when they're still having lunch, Pia says that when the first explorers went out, she she was a little girl when the first ones came back. And she thought she thought that Arnoldson was going out there and would find God. Yeah. And Bolero does not say what he's thinking, but he is thinking that he did, too. And he was in his mid 30s at the time. And then he says that he wonders what Palmer Eldritch found out there. I did not make that connection. Yes. And so I think he's envious of Palmer because Palmer actually took the plunge and left and went to go find something and came back. And then you got this guy, Leo, who was stuck here, who's always dreamed of more and doesn't have it and never tried it and just has never left. And there's nothing. And he has everything. He has everything that you can have, but he didn't go searching outside. And like he feels he's come up short in life. And so he wants to quash this guy who's come back and maybe has found God. Have you seen the Jeff Bezos uh, video of him and his girlfriend, wife uh, meeting, going to like a function and Leo DiCaprio, Leonardo DiCaprio is there and she, she's looking up at Leo. Like this is the greatest man I've ever met in my life. And she would do anything for him right there in front of Jeff Bezos. You know, a trillionaire or whatever he is. You is know? this real? No, I swear to God. I mean, she's like uh, super decked out, 
You know, I mean, definitely Leo Bolero would have loved her. <laughs> well, let's be honest. Leo, Leo Leonardo DiCaprio is actually a superb actor, in my opinion. Well, all, all I'm saying is our Leo. You know, it's really easy to believe that because if our, our Jeff Bezos can go through that, so can this guy. <laughs> I think of Elon Musk for um, Palmer Eldritch. And uh, yeah. Bolero, I haven't found a real world analogy, but you're probably not far off with one of the, you know, super magnates. Well, sure. we, we have one. We just can't can't say it. Well, back in the day, um, I remember Robin Williams on a, a Live Aid. He was doing this whole thing about rich people in New York, and he was talking about, like, Trump. And he was like, oh, I, I got this. I own this. I own this. I own this. And want that. And, you know, stuff like that. And it's, that's what rich people are like, right? Well, in this case, that's, those are know. shallow, superficial accomplishments. But um, you mentioned Elon Musk, and you know some people have, hate rich people. I don't know why they hate they him. Hate rich people. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I don't see the United States government giving us self-driving cars, Tesla, privatizing space. I don't see the United States government doing that. I see yeah. Elon Musk doing that. Yeah, he built the electric car infrastructure in the United States. Well, I think that is Elon Musk is a good example. I don't know Palmer Eldritch yet, but Elon Musk is. A we haven't good met him yet. I know we haven't met. We know nothing about him other than what other people have told us so far. That's right. All right. So back in Bernie Meyerson's office after lunch, I think you said that wrong. Leo Bolero's office after lunch. Ronnie Fugate is waiting. Yeah, he sees her, and the first thing that Leo thinks is not bad looking. He says she has wonderful, luminous eyes. She's very young. Ronnie assumes correctly that she's, well, she assumes that she's there because Meyerson complained about her contradicting him in front of a salesman, which is really the pretense behind which Leo Bolero got her there. Yeah, right. She thinks she's in trouble for uh, ruffling Stepping feathers. on his toes. Yeah. He's like, don't step on his toes. He's sensitive. Here, have a cigar. Do you know who Palmer Eldritch is? And this is the real reason why she was invited. Right. He wants to get information from her about where he is and, uh, you know, what name. We find out what name he's under in the hospital. Barton Trent? Something like that. Eldon. But it's interesting because Mayerson and Ronnie are precogs, people that are looking into the future. He's not saying, oh, use your brain powers to go out there and get this information. He says, can you take a look at this newspaper and tell me what it's going to say in the future? Right. And that's how she gets the name. It takes a yep. while for her. She's to reading the headlines in the future. It's pretty smart, really. I like it. It does because you're, it does take a while. You're you're utilizing a person's ability in a way that they probably hadn't ever really thought about. Oh yeah, of course. I don't know they what have. that person's thinking. No, but you if might be able pre-cogs. to read a paper that tells you what that person did. Hey, it doesn't say you know, like nowhere in here does it say the Super Bowl is still going on, but I guarantee you as soon as somebody's capable of seeing the future, they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna start gambling heavily. That's probably one of the first things I'll do. Why is Yule such a fan of the Chicago Bulls all of a sudden? <laughs> I, th- I think I think gambling in general would become a thing of the past if there were precogs. Oh yeah, you'd have to stop doing it. There's no way you could win. Or they right. they have like pre precog uh, gambling establishments, and then they would have regular person establishments. But how yeah, you, you really don't the want the government to find out that you can do that kind of thing? 
Yeah, you they keep will it to yourself. take you apart. They will test on you. I mean, Jesus, or they'll don't send let them you to know. Mars. <laughs> yeah, that too. All right. So the stuff that we're learning from Ronnie Fugate here is Eldon Trent is the name of the man that has been installed in James Riddle Veterans Hospital on Ganymede. But this is Palmer Eldritch, most likely, and he's being interrogated. Riddle me this. Where, where does that name come from? I didn't look it up. Tell me. That is none other than Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> it's Jimmy Hoffa Veterans Hospital. Oh, that's hilarious. That was the man who disappeared. Yeah, his real name was James Riddle Hoffa. That's very cool. Do you cool. know where he that's, was buried? Good. Nobody knows. They said uh, it's in the uh, end zone of the uh, New York Giants football. I think it was in New Jersey or something like that. Wouldn't they have already found him if that was true? I think they went and sonared that whole area and they didn't find anything. Well, that, that was the rumor way back when, before I Al know. Capone's vault, you know. And stuff I'm like pretty that. sure they're not going to find Jimmy Hoffa. Although I did find this car. It was like 1920s or 1930s era car buried like 30 feet below the surface in Seattle. I'm not kidding. And we're like, oh my God, was there a body in there? And like, unfortunately, there was nothing that I could detect. Unfortunately, that would have been <laughs> nothing that would have been exciting. Note, not even a twenty dollar bill landslide. I imagine there was a great ravine there, and it dumped in a ravine. And it was completely regraded over, something mm. like that. Uh, and if you really know Seattle history, there was the Great Seattle Regrade, where they literally power washed the giant hills into the bay to create enough land surface to build the city on anyway yeah. neither here nor there other than i don't know where jimmy hoffa is but that's what it comes from that's nobody does jimmy hoffa veterans hospital and that's where the un has installed palmer eldridge under a fake name and they're interrogating him there this takes her a long time but she does figure it out but then once she's kind of self-satisfied she sits back and she keeps going and she starts to see headlines a little bit further into the future and she gets a little bit worried because <laughs> she is seeing headlines that suggest that Leo Bolero has killed Palmer Eldridge. I think he's been arrested also. I mean, I guess that would be that's what arraigned, that means. Yeah, I arraigned. Think, yeah. yeah. She says that it's 40% likely. As soon as she identifies him as a potential murderer, as in he is capable of murder in one of these futures... She is a little bit nervous, and she kind of, like, withdraws a little bit. But then she refortifies herself and pushes. She threatens him, I feel. She says that she has to go to the authorities. She feels that she should go to the authorities with this. She said specifically the UN, and yeah. I guarantee you the UN doesn't control everything. So it makes me wonder, is she a mole that the UN has planted here? Maybe she's just really smart, Philip, and she knows that the UN is the only entity capable of thwarting him. Oh, maybe Sue. Maybe that's also true. I mean, she can see the future, of course. At the same time, I was already thinking that maybe it was the UN coming here, putting a mole in his in his organization. I don't know, but it's just got a wild well, hair about that. She was already there, so I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But who knows how long the UN has been plotting mm -hmm. against him. She, that's right. She does recommend that he don't go to see uh, Palmer Eldritch. Uh, right. She does say, don't what do that. What if she was a mole planted here by Palmer Eldritch? Sure, why not? I mean, I don't know. Okay, I'll, I'll stop speculating. It's possible right now. But, like, I don't understand necessarily Leo's obsession with Palmer fully. I mean, it could be this guy's well, a better early person. Days. It's early days. 
Right. He has decided to go to Ganymede, though, and one of the reasons why he wants to go at this point is because he has he's never killed anybody. He's never had anybody killed. He could have, but he's never needed to, and he's never wanted to. So he wonders to himself, what could compel me to commit murder? Obviously, they had an interaction of some kind. He met him if he's accused of his murder, so he can't help himself. He has to go to Ganymede. Now that Bolero has gotten everything he wants out of Ronnie Fugate, he goes to the door and opens it, but she will not yeah. leave. She talks about, you know, turning him in, or at least telling the UN. The threat. The threat. She also suggests, like, having her replace Mayerson, right? Yes. She wants to be the one that replaces Mayerson. She's like, I know you're thinking about helping him beat that test. Don't do it. I would like to replace him. You have until tomorrow morning. And he's like, I'll think about it. And she's like, tomorrow morning. That's pretty pushy, man. That's really pushy. Well, it is. She has leverage on him. Exactly. So if she's not going to do something to actually threaten him, she's going to use that in an ability to uh, further her own needs. And he says, I see why Barney was so riled up with you. And he says, "You're listen, you're Mayerson's mistress. How do you like to give, up, give that up? I can offer you... The use of an entire satellite. <laughs> Assuming he can get Scotty out of there. Well, that, <laughs> he'll just have to do that without Marison's help then, probably. And that's where Ronnie says that she likes Marison. She likes Barney. And she doesn't yeah. like bubble. Oops. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't. <laughs> she said bub. She doesn't finish the word, but we later learned that it's bubblehead, and it's in reference to people who have artificially evolved their frontal lobes through e-therapy. Right. Oh, I thought it was just somebody who lived in space and wore a spacesuit. Nope. <laughs> uh, all of that could work, even still. He was being, theoretically, uh, we were saying he was maybe racist in the beginning, and all, he still at, is. at the very he still is. least... He was feeling superior to a person because of his evolved nature. And she's looking at it as like a pretend evolved nature. You have... It is pretend. It's the best he can afford. So that's right? all you can afford. But yeah. he's not really a precog. She doesn't like pretenders or whatnot. It's right. like an athlete who, who succeeds by roiding up versus versus an honest athlete who does it by the power of the, his own ability yeah, and Yeah, just amphetamines. <laughs> <laughs> we're reminded that Ronnie is erratic in her talent, that she is wrong enough that she was taken out of China and brought back to be the assistant to somebody better than her. This is another rationalization of Leo's because he's thinking about whether or not he could actually kill Palmer Eldritch. He needs to know. She's 40% right. He's 40% likely. Or 40% likely is what I mean. We know she was erratic enough and erroneous enough that she was taken out of her position. Right. But when he makes a phone call to that veterans hospital for Jimmy Hoffa, Dead right. there is an Eldon Trent there. And he's like, oh, so she was right. And he immediately buys a ticket to Ganymede. And he has enough time to get to Ganymede and back and still be able to give her a decision by tomorrow morning. That's nuts. And not possible. <laughs> Whatever, dude. It's science fiction. Last thing. Last thing. He said it would be too difficult to turn back now because he had an acute intuition that this would turn out to be what he had hoped. And this is referring back, I think, to the bottom of page 24 and 25 where he was looking for something more in life. Where Leo is talking about 
how he has succeeded so far and no other great man has done all this stuff that he's done except for Palmer Eldridge. Another Palmer reason Eldridge. why he wants to go talk to this guy. He's compelled at this point. This is like, like the Beatles and the Maharaja and stuff like that. You know, he wants Yeah, to, but he might murder him, so I don't know. I can't wait for that. I think he can't wait either, and that's why he's going. Right. right? He has to understand what could compel him to commit murder. Well, that was just the that was the sealer right there. The the oh, yeah. nail in the coffin, <laughs> so to speak. Do you think it's possible that he's been manipulated into going? She could be lying about everything. She could be. Or maybe just the things that need to be, you know? He acknowledged that, though. Sure. If she's a precog, I think that their ability to deceive would be very high. Because they know what's going to be believed. They know what's not going to be believed. I mean, they'd be able to test those things out in their minds. Well, that's the end of the chapter. So what would uh, what do you think? What do you, you guys think? Uh, I think Leo Bolero is a villain. Well, at the, at the very end, I, we didn't really touch up on it, but he felt that he was... Um... Even if he had killed, even if the truth was real, and he murdered Palmer Eldritch, he said a man of his statue almost never gets convicted of capital crimes. And so... Let him try. Yeah, he's like, I don't want to do it, but even if it does happen, I'm pretty sure I'll get off. Hey, the headline didn't say that he was convicted of a crime. Right. And that was like another rationalization for him to go about doing what he does. I sure. mean, he feels he feels like um, he's he's immune well, why wouldn't I have be? a I have a list of words that I use to describe him. All right. Throughout the chapter, I just wrote them down as I was going. Let me let me get there. All right. So Bolero, I have these words to describe him: racist, sexist, drug peddler, braggart, briber, narcissistic, condescending, entitled. I think that describes him pretty well. And he thinks he can buy anything. God, there's a word for that. I don't know the word or how to used it. Yeah, um, where it's you're wealthy and powerful and think that's to me that's entitled, but like it does. Well, that's that sociopathic behavior that a lot fine. of rich that, people and people that have a lot of power get, you know, thrust upon them. This person's a sociopath. They don't care about other people. I think you get used to power. I, I know you get used to money. Well, I, I agree with everything except the racist. And I, I think his, his dig on the Indian politician wasn't racist. It was he had a sense of superiority because he had the advanced prefrontal lobe. And that was the dig is that the, the politician was unevolved. Then why did he mention that he was brown skinned? Because he was brown skinned. Okay. Okay, but what's the point of mentioning it if it doesn't, you know? Well, what about the fact that all he does when he first sees someone is, like, judge them on what they look like? Yeah, maybe it was women that he was judging initially, but he had talked to Hepburn more than once. So this would not have been his first contact with that person. But even still, when he's thinking about who he's talking to, he's only superficially looking at their their skin or maybe their size of breast or whatever it may be. Whatever he's interested in. Right. Whatever well, I mean, just him. the only thing that stands out because usually it's not what someone's saying. It seems. I don't think he really cares what other, he was trying to manipulate that guy. He was trying to manipulate all of the women that we've encountered. He found Ronnie was manipulating him at the end, which is why I think he was admiring her right. and why he invited her to move in to uh, Winnie the Pooh palace. But isn't that the right. reason why he doesn't like Scotty? No, I think that's different. I think she's probably nesting in his place and has, like, dibs on him, and he wants to get rid of her. Gotcha. 
He said she was willful. He didn't specify anything other than he couldn't get, he was having a hard time getting her out of there, that kind of thing. She was willfully ignorant to the fact that he wants her out. <laughs> yeah, probably because he didn't mention it. <laughs> I mean, Did I'm I guessing, not say but... get out? <laughs> yeah. He does seem like a villain to me, but we spent an entire chapter with him and I didn't hate it. Yeah. At all. Well, villains are interesting for sure. I, I enjoy spending a chap or a chapter with different people like this. Uh, so far, it's fine, but maybe, I mean, the main character's name is just somebody we're skirting around right now. So I think we just haven't gotten to him yet. Yeah, looking forward it's, to it. It's possible that he's not in this book at all. It's possible. I would hope that in the very least, in the future of this book, we will see some confrontation. I know you can't air quote on. Well, think about the title. Right. Think about the title, The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch. The, the stigmata implies the wounds of Christ, which would be the the rib cage wound from the spear, the hands having holes in them and the feet having holes in them. Right. But I don't I don't know that those are the three stigmata that Palmer Eldritch has. I suspect not, but I suspect he has them. So we've got to meet him, we've got to see him, we have to interact with this guy in some capacity. I'm looking forward to that though. Yeah. I'm- these two characters specifically. But there's been an introduction of God into this story where several times Arnoldson went to Prox for the anniversary of the first person ever, and people Arnoldson. Thought, it was Arnoldson. Eld- oh, 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 oh! You're talking about the space explorer. And Pia said people thought he would go out there and find God. And now Palmer Eldritz has gone on that exact same journey, almost like a pilgrimage. And come back mm. with something. And right. so there's... A lichen, in fact. Yeah, a lichen, yes, he did. But when if we're talking about there's religious overtones here, I, I think that's a clear indication. Arnoldson went to go find potentially God. That's what she thought was going to happen. That's true, but, but the setup is here. It's also, yes. in the very least, what Leo had hoped for when he was an adult at the same time. You're right, you're right. And again, to go find further meaning in life, Yes. For him, he wants to go speak with the person who potentially spoke with God. Yes, or knows the knows what more there is. Right, right. You know, uh, something I'm, something to enliven him. But this is a guy in search of something, and you know the yep. thing is, is like, is he a villain? Well, right now he may be. There's a lot of potential for growth and change yeah, sure. in this guy. Yeah. I don't know if he's the main person to even do that, you know. I, I don't know if he's going to be in the next chapter. I mean, we left Meyerson behind, basically. We did. We had a little bit with him. Maybe what we're seeing is a leave-off with a different character. So maybe next chapter, it's that Glouse guy. That's how the first two chapters have left us. We Meyerson, and then a conversation with Meyerson and Leo, and then Leo doing his stuff pretty much yep yep two chapters in who do you hope is the main focus of this book like of the characters that we met so far who would you like to ronnie. see? i think ronnie. ronnie also hands down ronnie okay so there was a moment that we kind of breezed past i'm going for richard there was a moment when richard nat yeah he's in the next chapter oh really all right yep so um Mayerson said that he didn't want Scotty or any other woman. He liked Ronnie. And then when Ronnie is having her conversation with Leo Bolero, she says, I don't want to go with you to whatever the space station is called. I like Mayerson. 
They've known each other for two days. They're turning down offers from this guy who is a manipulator, who is trying to do things with or to them in favor of each other. So like, I don't know what that implies, but it's just to me that there's something to Ronnie that it's not all above board. Right. Like Philip was saying, or maybe you were saying, I don't no, remember. No, it was Philip, but the, the weird thing is that they like each other, Ronnie and Barney. And yet they're selling each other down the yeah, road. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, maybe only for as long as it can happen. You know, They're, they're also both precogs, right. so they may know a lot that we don't know. Sure. So they may be acting in the best interest of the other without being able to tell us. Because we don't get inside their minds. We got inside Leo's mind All right. this chapter. And the only right. time we really knew what motivations Barney had were from a third party usually. And right now he's going crazy. Well, he wants to go crazy. He's trying to go crazy. <laughs> he's literally trying to go crazy. You know, I didn't get a chance to elaborate, but uh, I'm voting for Richard. I mean, they brought him into that story for a reason. And I'm I'm rooting for the underdog. This is a guy who is Winnie the Pooh on by Mayerson. <laughs> And it seems like, oh, well, that guy got shut down. Well, there's his family's future shut down. And right. I, I, I just, I'm an optimist. I want this guy to succeed because... Bolero was saying, are you sure to Mayerson? Are you sure these aren't going to become fash? Because I've seen that these things are selling in New Orleans, New York, San Francisco. Like, th this woman is popular. She's a ceramicist and she's selling. Why didn't we want to mend this stuff? Well, and that's well, that's the thing about uh, Philip K. Dick, right? He, his, his, his protagonist. What do they call it? The Everyman, right? I don't know how safe it is to say that for all of his characters, but I do know that a lot of his characters are criminals, uh, drug users, uh, people who are out of work. You know, the downtrodden, the uh, the people that get spit on. That's a lot of his characters, and in this case, we're following people who are obviously, you know, everybody's broken on some level so far. Or just detestable. It's broken. It is. I really like that sort of character development where there are no white knights, there are no ultra bad people, but you, you're you creating believable characters. I appreciate that. I do too. It brings you to I the story too. and it makes you identify and it makes you want to read the next chapter, which I do. Right. That's right. I'm chapter. looking forward to this murder we're going to get to witness. I know, right? I know. <laughs> so why don't we wind it down for this episode? Let's get to reading... Um, we'll see you in the next episode. Yes. 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 Goodbye. Laters. <laughs>